Good morning. Uh, my name is Kevin Bear. If we haven't met, I'm the lead pastor here at our Tomball campus. And uh, let's start this way. Uh, look beside you to someone you don't know and say, I am so glad you're here. Give them a little wave. I know we are socially distant and, and weird in this world, but look to someone you don't know. Jesus will love you better for it. I'm just playing. Uh, just, uh, just greet him. Hey, we're going to be continuing our study of the Sermon on the Mount. We actually just have two more weeks in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, this week and next week, and then we'll start uh, an Advent series as well. And and just kind of uh, by way of reminder... we are having a Christmas Eve service. We are also having some other services. There, the way to get and sign up, we'll have another announcement at the end of this. I'm just going to hit it twice. Uh, we, the way to get there is there is a, um, a sign outside. You can just put your phone or your photo over that sign and then sign up immediately. So I encourage you to do that. Uh, Billy will give another announcement reminder of that later on. Hey, if you have a Bible, Matthew chapter 7. We're going to be looking at uh, two sections this morning. Um, and let me just tell you this, uh, as I've been preparing, you know, there's certain sermons you prepare and you're like, you know what, Jesus, I am just going to be following you. And Lord, if it's hard, I am so sorry. But the good news is this, I don't write the book. I just deliver the mail. Amen. 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 All right, and we're going to study the word of God and look what he says to us. Matthew chapter seven, starting at verse 15, says this. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree, bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, and nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is thrown down is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. And Jesus, thank you that you speak the truth. You speak the truth in a world that is desperate for truth, but honestly, we don't know where to find it. There's so much distortion and so much deception in our world, so many uh, voices that lead us astray. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us your wisdom. You would give us your truth. And God, by your grace, we would be your people that accurately and rightly follow you and live our lives fully for you. And Lord, uh, this section addresses um, even the reality of, of, of false faith. I don't know, there are some of us here this morning that um, believe we are in, but don't know Jesus. So Lord, I pray that you would um, specifically speak to the hearts of those here this morning that think they are in, but never really know you, that they might come to know you this morning. We ask all of this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, in the world of art, it is very difficult to distinguish what is authentic and what is fake. And it's important in the world of art to be able to distinguish authentic from fake because there is a lot of money on the line. In fact, people can make 
tens of millions of dollars by selling a fake piece of art. But if you're a, um, if you're a struggling artist, um, it can become difficult because you're trying to make your way into the, the higher ranks to be able to sell your art and make money and support yourself. Um, but there becomes a tension for some of these artists because they want to be able to make money, but they can't develop the quality of art of some of the masters. And so what ends up happening sometimes is some of these very accomplished artists begin taking steps towards forgery. In fact, I was reading an article um, in an art magazine that talked about um, the reality of forgers in the world of art. John uh, Myatt, a forger behind what the Scotland Yard has defined as the biggest art fraud of the 20th century between 1986 and 1994, he faked around 200 works of art by Chagall and uh, Matisse. And so those you art lovers are like, oh my gosh, did he really? Yes, he did. Um, they fooled collectors and experts alike enough that the works were auctioned for hundreds of thousands of pounds. Think about that. They got hundreds of thousands of pounds, that's British money, it's, it's a lot of money, by selling over, over 200 works of art. There's another individual, um, his name is, um, um, he's an English-born, uh, he's settled in Italy, um, his name is Eric Hebern, and he started out as a young artist. He was wanting to create great art, but he came disillusioned with some of the contemporary art critics and experts, and so he began um, by helping to start restore art, works of art. And so what happened is there became a fine line between restoring a master's work and then creating your own from that work. And that's what he began doing. He started creating his own um, versions of the originals. And what's, what's fascinating in the world of art is that the, the challenge is there's only a few authentic pieces. There's only a few that are really created by the artists. And, and there's also like gaps, wanting to know what else did these artists produce. And so some of these individuals that are talented artists would come in and they would restore some, but then they would start filling in the gaps. And that's what this man did. It says that he began uh, recreating all of these different arts, faking hundreds of works, selling them for an estimate of over $30 million dollars. In the two decades at the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York, Thomas Hoving, the museum director from 1977, must have examined 50,000 objects. And he wrote in his book, False Impressions, I almost believe that there are as many bogus works as genuine ones. In the world of art, it can become very difficult to distinguish what is authentic and what is fake. And what's the difference? Who created it? And in the world of Christianity, let me tell you what, it can become difficult to distinguish what is authentic faith and what is false faith. What is real and what is false. And, and, the, and the key is this, what distinguishes an authentic Christian from a false Christian, a fake Christian? And it's this, are you recreated by the master? Have you come to Jesus Christ? Has he made you, caused you to be born again in him? That is the difference. We're coming to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus um, has been calling us at the end of his sermon to make a decision. Last week, uh, we talked about the two roads, that there are two roads. One leads to life and one leads to destruction. And if you, you can download our app and listen to last week's sermon as well. And this week, we're also, we're looking at two other little couplets we're looking at the fact that there are two trees and there are two claims. Next week, we will look at the two foundations 
And in this section, Jesus is asking us to make a decision to determine what is authentic faith, to be able to evaluate um, the teachers, the prophets above us that speak to us, prophets, and the second group, to actually evaluate ourselves. Are we legit? Do we have legitimate, life-saving, Christ-honoring faith, or do we not? And to answer that question, I'm gonna lead us through three movements in this sermon. The first is this, the reality that Jesus is the final judge. Secondly, that there are false prophets. So how do we identify them? And thirdly, that there is false, there are false followers. So how do we identify or evaluate ourselves? And the first is this, the first as we start is this, that Jesus is the final judge. One of the most well-known passages or read passages in the Christmas season is what we read during Advent, where it talks about baby Jesus coming to earth, right? It's Isaiah chapter nine. And we read that description and it says this, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness and the light has shone on them. And that it says like people are walking in darkness, but there's something great that happened. There's some, a light that's coming. It's gonna reveal, it's gonna allow us to see the truth. Verse six of chapter nine says this, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given and the government shall rest on his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David, over his kingdom, to establish and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. When we read that passage, you're probably familiar with it during the Christmas season, we focus on baby Jesus. And everyone loves baby Jesus. Movies made about baby Jesus. Everyone loves the little infant that comes. But look what it says about this child. It says the government's gonna rest on his shoulders. He's gonna be reigning in the line of David. It says that he's going to be a king with a reign and authority. Jesus, when he comes to earth, is not a passive bystander. He is the the king that's gonna come, that's ruling over us. It says there's gonna be a king that comes. Jesus says of himself in John chapter five, for the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Jesus says of himself, I'm going to be the judge. And there will come a day when we stand before God and stand before Jesus Christ as our judge. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says it this way, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or bad. All these passages are saying the same thing. Jesus is the final judge. There will come a moment when you and I stand before God and we give account for our lives. Revelation says this way. It's like the books are opened up and they record the deeds of your life. And so we will stand before God and we will give an account for the life that we live. Jesus is the final judge of every person who has ever lived. And Jesus is asking us as our judge to evaluate ourselves, to evaluate the teachers that are teaching us but also to evaluate um, our own faith in him because there are false prophets and there are false professions of faith. And Jesus is saying, okay, know what's true. Be able to identify what's authentic because he is the final judge. He says, first, I want you to identify the false prophets in your mix. Verse 15 of Matthew chapter seven says this, beware of false prophets, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. 
He says this reality, that there will be teachers that come into the mix that are false prophets. They do not speak the truth. And it's difficult to identify them. He says they're wolves in sheep's clothing. It's like they're camouflaged. It means they look good on the exterior, but once you get close enough to know them or hear them long enough, you realize there's something distorted with what they're saying. There's something inside that's very broken. A friend of mine um, who's a pastor in Washington, D.C., his his name's Ben Stewart, he tells an amazing story about the reality of wolves, of, of wolves, and I just, I think it's hilarious, so I'm just going to share it with you. It is difficult to identify a wolf. Wolves destroy. Um, so he had a friend in college, and uh, his friend uh, wanted to get a date. And in order to get a date, there was a particular area in the spring where a bunch of girls went and, and kind of hung out, and then people with dogs would come, and the girls would be like, oh, cute puppy, and they would go for pet the puppy, and you'd have a conversation, and you'd get a date. And the guy wanted to get one of those girls, and so he needed one of those dogs. And so he gets a dog, or an animal, brings it home, uh, and his, all of his roommates, Ben and other roommates, were just like, don't do this to us. Like, this is going to be bad. Like, you don't even take care of yourself. Don't bring another hu- uh, animal into this environment. And he brings home a beautiful animal. And he says animal because uh, the animal is actually three-quarters wolf. How you do that? He's like, I don't know, but he brought him home. And so they, they hang out. He kind of trains the dog, raises him up a little bit, or the animal raises him up a little bit. And uh, the first spring day, he says, now's the time. And he brings a ball. And he goes to that park. He's got the, the animal on a leash. And he's thinking, I will throw the ball, watch the animal fetch the ball, bring it back, and then I will meet one of those girls. It'll be a beautiful moment. And so he gets to that park. He throws the ball. The animal goes right past the ball and into the woods. The guy goes, not what I was hoping for. And at that moment, he hears a voice behind him. Um, that's a beautiful dog. And he's like, oh, girl. No, dude, it was just like a dog lover guy. And he's like beginning this conversation with this guy about dogs and dog things. And he's going through this conversation. All of a sudden, he hears screaming across the way. Oh, no. He looks across the way, and he sees that the animal had not gotten the squishy ball and was not chewing on that. The, the animal had come up with his own game. He had gotten a rabbit. And he was throwing the bunny into the air and then pouncing on it and tearing into his bleeding flesh. Meanwhile, the girls are screaming and he's like, oh no. And so he runs across the field of dreams uh, or nightmares and runs over there, uh, finishes off the rabbit, uh, gets the leash on the animal and takes it home and later on gives it to a beautiful family of four. Why did he tell us that? And why am I telling you that? For this simple reason. Wolves destroy And you can't bring a wolf in and hope it will do something good. Wolves destroy. Paul says in the church, wolves will rise. In Acts chapter 20, Paul is going to be leaving the church of Ephesus. And he tells the the leaders of Ephesus this. I know, in Acts chapter 20 verse 29, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24, he says this, false Christs, false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders and lead many astray. If possible, even the elect. The truth is this, there are false prophets that come to the church. You remove a significant leader, false teachers will come in. 
And what they'll do is they'll go in and on the exterior, they seem like they're great. They seem like they have it all together. But when you look at them long enough, you see that there's something twisted. And you see that they're drawing people away from Christ and they're drawing people toward themselves. They start twisting things. And Jesus says, these people will come in and you will recognize them by their fruits. And by fruit, he, he likely means this, their teaching and their character. Over time, as these people speak to you, you will recognize there's something off, that they're actually wolves when you look at their teaching and you look at the character, the conduct of their lives. And here's the challenge with identifying fruit. It's, it takes time to grow. Fruit takes time to grow. And you can't look immediately and always see what's the fruit of this person's life. And I realize in teaching this right now, um, I'm putting myself on the spotlight to go, Kevin, you've just been here not very that long. Like, we're gonna look at you and like, hey, you, you ought to look at me. Look at my teaching. Look at my life. Am I leading us towards Jesus or am I not? Look at the fruit of their life because fruit takes time to grow. But in the Bible, there's, there's several descriptions throughout both the Old Testament and New Testament that teach us what to look for. How do I know if someone is actually a false prophet. The first way is this, that they downplay the judgment of God. Jeremiah 6.13 says it this way. For from the least of these to the greatest of them, everyone who is greedy for unjust gain, and from prophet to priest, everyone who deals falsely, they have healed the wound of the people, people lightly saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. When Jeremiah is preaching this message, he is saying that the nation of Israel is going to be under the judgment of God. And, and they're going to be taken to Babylon. They're going to receive the judgment of God. There's going to be a problem that they address. And there's these false prophets in the mix that are saying, hey, it's not that big of a deal. Peace, peace. They're doing what Satan did in the garden. When Satan went to Eve, he said, did God really say that if you eat it, you would die. Did God really say that? They question the reality of the judgment of God. They, they downplay it. They soft pedal it. They say, God's really not that angry. There's not a divine day of judgment. It's not that big of a deal. The second thing they do is this. They, they deny Jesus' teaching. In fact, just before this passage, um, we see that Jesus is telling the people, there are two ways. There's a road that leads to life and a road that leads to destruction. And there's a narrow road that leads to life. And Jesus says, by following me, I am the gate. I am the way to God. You can follow me. That is the narrow way. And every other way is the broad way. False prophets will actually deny that. They'll deny that there's a narrow way alone to Christ and salvation. Second Peter 2 says it this way. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. He will secretly bring in destructive heresies even denying the master who brought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. He says, they're gonna sneak in and they're gonna start distorting the words of Jesus. They're gonna deny the teachings of Jesus. And the third way is this, if they, they deny key doctrine. First John 4 says it this way. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. 
This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard and is coming and is now with you. What John, the apostle John is addressing in that section is this. They were saying that Jesus didn't come in the flesh. That Jesus was only a spiritual arrival. They didn't believe that Jesus was fully God and fully man. It was a Gnostic heresy. That's the theological term for it. They didn't believe in this key doctrine about Jesus Christ. That he is fully God and fully man. When false prophets come in, they'll start distorting these teachings. But it's difficult to identify them. Are they speaking the truth or are they not? Martin Lloyd-Jones in his uh, book on the Sermon on the Mount writes it this way. I think it's really helpful. There's only one way to understand rightly this picture of the false prophets. The false prophet is a man who, is, who has no straight gate or narrow way in his gospel. He has nothing which is offensive to the natural man. He pleases all. He's in sheep's clothing, so attractive, so pleasant, so nice to look at. He has such a nice and comfortable and comforting message he pleases hearers and everybody speaks well of him. He never persecute, he's never persecuted for his preaching. He's never criticized severely. He is praised by the liberals and the modernists. He's praised by the evangelicals. He is praised by everybody. He is all things to all men in that sense. There is no straight gate about him. There is no narrow way in his message. There is none of the offense of the cross. Jesus says, you be careful because there are people that are going to rise up and they're going to be easy to listen to. They're going to be easy to follow. They're going to be really pretty and they're going to lead you astray. They're wolves. Jesus says, the person will be judged. Matthew seven nineteen. every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you'll recognize them by their fruit. He says, their teaching will produce a fruit. And if that is not the vibrant fruit that Christ once produced, they're going to be judged at some point. They will be judged. So what does this mean for us? It means, it doesn't mean two things. The first is this, is that we don't, we're not um, theological nitpicks, okay? There could be a tendency within us to, to, to look at every misspoken word and be a theological nitpick. And so I, I had all this in, in college, uh, these experiences where like one person would say something like slightly off and they'd be like, oh, he's a false prophet. Be like, okay, okay, okay. It's possible for preachers to misspeak, okay? It's possible. I try to be accurate with my words. I really work hard on that. But I listen to previous sermons and I'm like, mm, I wish I would have said that a little bit differently. I wish I would have nuanced that a little bit better. And, and so it's possible for communicators or teachers to misspeak in moments. And we, the gracious thing to do is to go to confront and say, hey, did you mean it that way? Or is there some, a nuance to that? And actually go to confront. Don't, don't assume every misplaced word paints that person as a false prophet. The second reality is, is this, not that they misspeak, but a person may be mistaken. There's a moment in the New Testament when there was a, a man named Apollos, a great preacher, but he was mistaken about some of the theological nuances of Christianity. He says it this way in Matthew, I'm sorry, in Acts chapter 18. Meanwhile, there was a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria who came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He'd been instructed in the Lord's day, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew nothing of, he only knew of the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, 
But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him into their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. So there was a man named Apollos. He was a great preacher. He was a great communicator, but he didn't understand the total work of the Holy Spirit. So he didn't understand that, that uh, he only believed in the baptism of John of repentance, but he didn't believe in the indwelling Holy Spirit. He didn't know the whole picture yet. So he was mistaken. And so what do we do with someone who is mistaken? It was so sweet. They brought him into his home and, and they said, hey, th- this, is, this is what this actually means. There, there's some theology that you're missing a little bit. Let's speak more fully on that. So there are moments when, when preachers can misspeak or they can be mistaken. And so we graciously come alongside and offer helpful correction. But if the person will not receive the correction, if they say, no, no, the, the, the broad way is the right way and they deny some key doctrines of Jesus Christ, I would say, be careful, be careful. Well, so how do we recognize the truth? How do we recognize what's real for what this person's teaching us? Well, I was reading about uh, forgeries all week. It's been really fun. Um, You know how they authenticate a real bill? Like a $100 bill, something like that. They study it. They actually just study the, the authentic because if you study the authentic, you can recognize what's false. You study what's true, then you can see what's false. And so the first application in this section I would give to you is this. Do you study what's true? Do you spend time in the word of God, actually knowing the word of God personally? And the second, I would actually give you a resource. There's a resource, um, put it on your book list, you want it for Christmas, it's called Concise Theology by J.I. Packer. There is authentic truth and there's a great resource that you can grab onto and say, okay, well, what does the Bible say? What are, what are uh, good theologians saying about these key doctrines? Actually pick it up, actually study. You will be deceived if you don't know what's true. So the first is this, can we identify false teachers among us? It's a responsibility of a Christian. Secondly, he says, I want you not merely to look out there at them. I want you to look internally in you. We are called to evaluate ourselves. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 13. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves or, you, or do you not realize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Paul calls the Corinthian church to actually test themselves. See if you're actually in the faith. Are you believing the right things about Jesus Christ? Test yourselves. And so the second piece within this that Jesus gives us is to help identify false faith. Let me read the text again to you because it's scathing. And let me just say this. There's many of us that believe that we are in, but we may not be. Jesus says it this way. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name or cast out demons in your name or do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. How do we identify a true believer? How do you look at someone and say, are you legitimate? Is your faith real? And here's what's challenging about this teaching. I love the fact that Jesus grouped these two ideas together because at one level he says, hey, you're gonna know someone by their fruits. And then he turns in this next section and says, you know what? Fruits aren't all all that easy to identify. 
He says you're going to know them by the fruits, but sometimes fruits are hard to identify. They're not always easy to see what's real. Several years ago, I was in Sacramento, California, and I was, um, I was there doing some races for, for a track thing, and, and, but we went to the Capitol building in California. And around the Capitol building, there's these beautiful orange trees, like amazing orange trees. And, and we're walking by, and I see these gigantic oranges, like connected to the trees on the ground. And I'm walking over, like, man, this is amazing. I'm just going to grab myself an orange. And my coach says to me, don't do that. I'm like, why? It looks amazing. And he goes, as, as soon as you open that orange, it will be the most bitter tasting thing you've ever had in your life. I'm like, why? He's like, they do it to the tree on purpose so you don't eat them. I'm like, they would do that to the orange? Like, but I didn't believe him. And so I opened it up and took a bite of the orange and I was like, oh, this was horrible. Sometimes fruit in someone's life is difficult to distinguish. It's not always easy to see what's real. But Jesus says, it's interesting, he says of these people, first, they have the right verbal affirmation and they have some amazing actions. The first is this, he says, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. They have the right affirmation. They say, Lord, Lord. In fact, in in Greek and in Hebrew, when you wanted to emphasize something, you would repeat it. You'd put the name side by side. Like when Jesus says, Martha, Martha, or or, 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 Lord, Lord, that, that repeated word is to emphasize it. He says, these people have the right confession. They believe in Jesus. They're like, Lord, Lord. And what Jesus is saying is this, not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, is saved. Not everyone that names the name of Jesus in their life is saved. That's what he's saying. This is, I'm a mailman, okay? Just calm down. I'm just telling you what Jesus is saying. Not everyone that names the name of Jesus in a song that they sing or has Jesus on their Facebook profile is actually a Christian. We gotta be discerning. We gotta know, is this legitimate faith or is it not? Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, is saved. And they may look shiny, you can go right now to lots of cities in the United States, probably parts of Houston. I've been over there before. But you can go and you can buy jewelry. And you can get a beautiful stone that's part of a beautiful ring or bracelet. And you can look at that stone and be like, man, it's clear. It seems like a diamond. And they would gladly charge you diamond prices. But it is fake. And what Jesus is saying is that you can look good But once you get to the truth, you'll see that it is inauthentic. So someone can have the right affirmations and someone can even have the right actions. He says, many will say to me on that day, did we not prophesy in your name? Cast out demons in your name. Do many mighty works in your name. He says, they point to their actions and he points to the miraculous. I mean, did you see what he does here? Like he points to miraculous moments. Did we not prophesy in your name? Like we spoke the word of God to people? Do we not speak the word of God in your name, Jesus? And do we not cast out demons in your name? Do we not perform miracles of, of, of exorcisms for you, Jesus? We, we cast them out in your name and perform other mighty works. I don't know what the other mighty works were, but some sort of miraculous works. Did we do that? And, and he says to them, interestingly, away from me, I never knew you. I don't know what's on your Christian resume. 
Like if you were to pick your Christian resume, hey, why should we believe that you're a Christian? I'm not sure that those would make your list, right? Like I prophesied for God, I cast out demons, I performed many mighty miracles. Like if you were pointing to your list of Christian accolades, what would you point to? It probably wouldn't be those. I think he's doing that intentionally. I think he's saying, hey, even the people that perform the most amazing things, just because they do great things for me, doesn't mean they're with me. So faith isn't by actions. We can't say, I've, I've done the right things, so I'm accepted. Church attendance does not make you Jesus's. You get no credit for being here. I'm so sorry. Baptism doesn't save you. Communion doesn't save you. Mission trips don't save you. Participation in church programs doesn't save you. None of the actions that we do will save you. And look what Jesus does. He doesn't delegitimize the works. He doesn't say those were inauthentic works, those were fake works that didn't really happen. He doesn't disauthenticate the actual miracles that these people did. What he points to is a completely different place. He says, but I never knew you. That word know is intimate connection. In the Old Testament, it uses it to describe marital relations. It says Adam knew Eve and they had a son. So it's, it's intimacy. He says, Jesus saying, I never had an intimate relationship with you. So years ago when I was um, uh, just living in College Station, um, there was uh, moments when I'd be sitting in Starbucks and there would be celebrity sightings. And celebrity sightings in College Station was, was very rare. Like that's not your destination vacation for celeb. Um, every now and then I'd see like Johnny Manziel. And so back in the day, that was fun. Um, but then I remember sitting in Starbucks and then I saw this guy. Um, you may not know him, but his name is uh, Chris Anderson, also known as the Birdman Chris Anderson. And at the time, um, I was watching basketball. And so I knew a lot about this guy. I mean, I knew he played for the Denver Nuggets. I knew he went to Blinn College. Um, he was from the Brenham area. And I knew that he had gone to play for Miami Heat, won a couple of championships with the Miami Heat. And I knew that in this time that I saw him, he was actually going to be uh, transitioning to go play for the Cleveland Cavaliers, again, with LeBron. And so I knew a lot about him. What's so funny about seeing professional athletes in person, because when you see him on the screen, on the court, you're like, oh, he's like kind of big, I don't know, you know, you just, but then you like, by kind of me, big, I meant gigantic, right, so I like walked up beside him, and he is an enormous mountain of a human, and, um, and I'm standing there in line, you know, behind him, I'm just like a little kid compared to him, and, uh, and I'm standing there behind him, and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I know you, but he didn't know me. And over several years, like he would be in there periodically, like getting his cup of coffee. But I recognized him, but he never recognized me. And I think for some of us in the Christian life, we think we know Jesus, but what we really know is a lot about him. We don't really know him. Chris Anderson's not inviting me, inviting me over for coffee, Chris Anderson's not inviting me to Thanksgiving. Chris Anderson's not hanging at my house. For Jesus, he's saying, these people will do a lot for me, but they never know me. See, at the end of the day, everyone 
is going to stand before Jesus Christ. There will come a moment when you and I stand before Jesus Christ and we will give an account for our lives. And he will look at your life and look at my life and and ask the question, why should I let you in? And you know the real issue with these individuals? It wasn't the works. It was the relationship. He says, they'll say, do we do this and do we do that? Do we do this and do we do that? And, And they're pointing to their actions. And so what does authentic faith look like? See, these people were all pointing to what they did. Authentic Christians point to what Christ has done. True faith is not what I do for Jesus. It's have I received what Jesus has done for me? Have I believed that Jesus Christ died in my place for my sins? Have I come humbly and only to Jesus Christ? Have I come down that narrow road and that narrow way? Or am I pointing to something to authenticate myself? And Jesus says, that person I never knew. But the one who comes humbly to me and doesn't point to what I did for you, but says, you know what, Jesus? I believed and I trusted in what you did for me that you lived the perfect life I could not live, that you died the death I deserve to die, that you died in my place for my sins and you can forgive me. Jesus says, that humility, that faith alone in the work of Christ, that person's in. That's authentic faith. Jeremiah 9 says, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, Let not the mighty man boast in his strength. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. Do you know him this morning? Do you know him? Jesus wants you to know him through his word and through a vibrant relationship There's lots of things we could do this season, but the only thing that's needed is to come humbly to him and say, Jesus, will you accept me? Will you renew me? And from that place, we live. We pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Lord, I pray that we could be discerning people that we can identify what is authentic and what is false and Lord I pray that you would help us to be people that come wholly and simply to you Jesus you have forgiven us of our sins and there's nothing that we can do to earn it and Lord we will stand before you one day and give an account for our lives and, and we're guilty I'm guilty I have not lived up to what you have asked me to live up to. But you've accepted me. Because you have given me salvation through faith alone in Christ alone. Lord, I know there are some here that are doing the Christian activities, hoping that that will appease a deity. Lord, I pray that today that would be removed. That we would come only to you, Jesus Christ. 
And there's some of us here that have been listening to false teaching and, and being led astray. Lord, I pray that you would renew our minds. Help us to see you truly for who you are in return. Lord, I lift up each person this morning to you. If you have um, prayed a prayer of salvation this morning, we have uh, people that are going to lead us in prayer um, that would love to pray with you on either side. They'll be walking up in a moment. We'd encourage you to, to talk with one of them. If you need prayer for anything, uh, there's health or whatever issue you might be facing, um, our people would love to pray for you. Um, for the rest of us, let's stand and worship together.